So we're talking about generating life or stagnating. Now this comes to us that are at my age. You know, um, if you we, we looked at these stages of um, of uh, growing, and we looked at infancy from zero to two, childhood from three to twelve, adolescence from twelve to nineteen, young adults. We did last year, last week, sorry, from twenty to forty, and now we're in this place where I live. <laughs> 41 to 65, is it? Yeah, that's 64. That's where I live. I live right there. In that, who lives in that little place? Well, the, the, big, the big challenge for us at that, that period of time is whether we generate life or whether we stagnate. That's our big challenge. You know, I've got a choice to either generate life, I've done my breeding, I've done my raising my kids, but I've got to now either... Cop out and stagnate now because it's all over for me. I mean, the, the rest of the way is downhill, they say, you know, so I might have just sit down and wait to die, you know. It's all over. I have my kids. I've got my grandkids now. And, oh, I'm glad to see her in church today. She missed last week, didn't she? And we had to pray for her that God would. Was she in church last week? Was she? Not here. Oh, she's gone to another church. Lovely. Well, that's good that she was in church. <laughs> is she behaving herself? It's my granddaughter there. Isn't she gorgeous? Look at it. Sleeping on her daddy's shoulder. You punched her? Oh, she's out cold? Okay. So we, we get into this stage of life between, what, between uh, 41 and 64, and we've had our children. We've usually established our business. We usually got ourselves going, so we're now cruising. So we either generate life and get going and keep on going, or we begin to stagnate, which means, and the word stagnate means to go rotten, to die, to begin to die. It's a word that you use around a pond. If you've got a pond and there's no water coming in and no water going out, it, it just nothing fresh in there. It just begins to go green and go dead, and it stagnates and smelly. It's dead. That's stag. That, that's that's stagnation. Okay. So we're going to look at this period of life that we're living in, and and this is an interesting idea because this idea of uh, stagnation doesn't just happen when you get to my age. So all those who are younger than me and saying, this is him and has no relationship to me. I want you to wake up now because it does. Because you can start stagnating well before you reach my age. You can, you, can, you can be 18 and have run against the wall and tried your best to do the things that you wanted to do. You tried to get a job. You tried to get an apprenticeship. You tried to get, and you tried and tried, and you think, well, there's no hope for you. There's nothing you can do anymore. You're just going to stop now. You're not going to generate life anymore. You just drop into my age when you're 18, and you stagnate. You just stop and say, I can't do anymore. I can't try anymore. I'm not going to try anymore. It's just hopeless. I'm just going to stop now. And you start to die even though you're 18 years old. So this is kind of interesting because it just doesn't, it just is not, it's like you can be my age and still be a child and act like a child and you can be your age and you can act like me. So it doesn't, this is just a metaphor. This is just a picture of our spiritual life. And so what we're talking about today has application for everybody in this room, not just for old blokes like me. It has it has application for everyone. You can stop living if you choose. 
or you can begin to keep generating life even though things go hard for you, even though you're under the pressure, even though you can't seem to find a way out, you can keep on generating life in Jesus because Jesus says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly in John 10.10. It says the thief comes to steal and to steal and to destroy, but I have come to give them life and life abundantly. So we're talking about this, and we're going to look at the last part of this verse in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6. It says, instead, bring them up. Fathers, do not exasperate or make your children angry or provoke your children to wrath or provoke your children to anger, he says, but instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So the training and instruction of the Lord. Remember, we looked at this verse in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. When I was a child, I understood like a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. So we are growing up. And as we're growing up in our Christian walk, we recognize that there's always the place to put childish things away. No matter where we are, there's always the place to take a mature option rather than take a childish option. And spiritual growth requires us to continuously, all the time, make mature choices. So infancy, like we said last week, is a stage, not a state. You remember that? Say it with me again. Infancy is a stage, not a state. And what that means is that you are always transitioning, growing up, you are always changing. You're going to be changing to become more and more like Jesus. You're going to be changing to become more and more responsible. You're going to change to become more and more teachable. You're going to be changed to become more and more submitted to the Lord Jesus. You're going to be changed to become more and more like Jesus in your choices and your thinking and the things that you do. You're going to change. And life is about this change, this growing up, this constant change. You ask yourself the question, are you maturing or are you just getting older? From this week to last week, ask yourself that. Because if you didn't do anything between last Sunday and this Sunday, probably nothing's changed. You know, and this Sunday and next Sunday will go like that. You know, I've had so many Sundays under my belt now. I can't, rem- I can't recall how many Sundays I've had. But every su- you know, I, look, Saturday morning, <laughs> I wake up at 4.20. And I know what time it is, you know, because I look at the clock and I see the clock and, and, the, and the number comes up and then it's usually like 3.16 or something like that. I said, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave it you know, Ephesians 4.20, you know. Every time I see the numbers there, it makes the scripture come into my mind. So I look at the clock, a scripture comes into my mind, and I think to myself, i got to get up. <laughs> and I, think, I don't want to get up. It's Saturday morning. You know, I don't, you know. And you know what? God says, I want you to be responsible. I'm calling you to get up. I didn't wake up because the alarm didn't ring me up. I didn't set the alarm. You don't have to set the alarm. And you go, Jesus, did you know that? You just have to set your heart, set your ear to listen, like one being taught. You don't have to, you don't have to, oh, oh, oh where is it? Where? No, 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 no. You just have to say, Jesus, if you want me to wake up and pray, wake me up. And guess what? He will wake you up. I remember when I, I, I got a real, you know, when I was younger, I got, you know how the guys started praying for humility and for patience? I prayed for a spirit of prayer when I was younger. 
How, that was a long time ago, wasn't it, Kath? Remember when you were young? We were, we were both young together. It was like you know, 16, 15, 16, 17, 17, 18. So about 18 or 19, I started praying for a spirit of prayer. I got really burdened one day. I saw this guy. He preached on prayer, and I thought, I want to pray. Some of you have had the burden of prayer before, you know? You know the burden of prayer that you can get down and you can pray, you can pray for hours and hours and hours, and it's just like you just can't stop. It's just go, go, go. You remember that? Remember when God used to touch you like that, Sifa? And they had that burden of prayer? You're pregnant now. I understand the difference. But you, you can remember that. Olga, remember when God speaks to you and you get that burden of prayer and it just sits on you, you know? You know that one, don't you? Yeah. Listen, oh, if you don't know it, we're going to pray that you do know it. <laughs> I pray for a spirit of prayer. So God, what happens when you pray for a spirit of prayer? Well, you don't, you know, so you, don't, you, know you get woken up. So here I am, I'm laying in bed, and it, the, I'm just laying there, and I wake up 15 minutes earlier than normal. So I look over, and this is when I was living with your mum and dad. You know, look over at my little watch or clock over there, and it says 15 minutes earlier. So I decided that you know, I roll over. And then the thought came to me, and I don't know how it does this, but this thing talks to your ear like, I thought you wanted a spirit of prayer. Well, I, well, I mean, that must be God, because I didn't think that. It just came into my head. I thought you wanted a spirit of prayer, like a statement, you know? I said, yes, I do. He's, and then it said to me, it was Holy Spirit. He said, if you don't do it now, I will take it away. And give it to someone else. Just like that. And I just, I couldn't lay there anymore. It's like, I was staying there and I think, oh, okay, now I asked for a spirit of prayer. He's working me up 15 minutes early. He means I have to pray for 15 minutes. Okay, 15 minutes, not so bad. So I get up, you know, and you, you get up and you shut the door quietly and you start praying. Remember those? You remember that, do you? Into the loft, yeah. I thought I was singing opera. That's the problem. Don't ever build your son a loft. You climb up into it and pray into the heavens. So, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I get there and I start doing that, you know. So, it was 15 minutes. So, that's okay. You did it well one day. The next morning you wake up and it's 20 minutes earlier. And again you feel like rolling over. But the Holy Spirit says to you, if you don't do this, I'll give it to someone else. So you say, okay, well, who should I pray? And then all of a sudden names of people start coming to my head that I should be praying for. So I think, okay, I write them down. So I get up and I pray for 20 minutes. The next morning, guess what? I wake up, it's half an hour earlier this time. And more names. And I think, I have the names from yesterday, surely. He says, I want you to have a burden of prayer. I wasn't burdened yesterday. I'm starting to feel the burden. So by the time it got to 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm serious. It did, he didn't stop. He just kept on waking me up earlier and earlier and earlier until I was waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning and praying for whatever, you know. And I just, you see, what do you want in God? You see, this is not me having to exercise my mind to do this. 
This is me coming to Jesus and walking with Jesus. There's a big difference. So you've got a changing. So on Saturday morning, God speaks to me and wakes me up, you know, and I'm challenged. You know, I'm sitting there, this is Saturday. You know, I mean, you know, I got to bed late last night and I want to sleep in with my dear wife. She's there beside me. Her warm body is, wow, why do I want to get up now? And the same old little voice said to me, I need you to prepare your sermon for Sunday because you won't get any other time. So what do I do? Okay, and all of a sudden, all the sermons in my head, just like, doo-doo. that alone. Okay, let's just put that down now, you know. You know, but listen, every single day, it's a walk of obedience. Every single day, it's the next step. Every single day, you never get past this walk with Jesus. Every single day, he's leading you on to, you don't get older, you get more mature. You make the right decisions every day. Every day, you make another decision for Jesus. Amen? And the decisions that we make in 10 years' time will be like the decisions we make now, but they will be on different things and greater things and better things for him. Do you want to go there? Young people, do you want to go there? Or do you want to stagnate? You see what I mean? This has application to you. You either generate life now in Jesus or you begin to stagnate spiritually. And you don't have to be 40 to 65 to do that. You can live spiritually there and start dying, not living. What do you want to do? Who's with me? Jesus, look at the, put your hand up high if you're with me. Close your eyes. Jesus, you see that hand. You speak to them, Father, this week. Don't let them off the hook. Make them grow in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Whoa, watch out. (laughs) Watch out. Is that enough? Should I keep on going? Okay. It's this one, isn't it? So we're looking at the last part of the verse. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Well, here's the question. Who's your daddy? <laughs> who's your daddy? Uh, you could say, who's your mummy? But it doesn't sound as good as who's your daddy. Everybody say, who's your daddy? Turn to the person beside you and say, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? <laughs> Natalie, who's your daddy? Hey. All right, we all, got a, we all got an earthly dad. Some of us may know our earthly dad. Some of us may not know our earthly dad. Some of our earthly dads are still around. My earthly dad is still around. And some of our earthly dads may have moved on. We all have an earthly dad. That's how you got here. But Jesus was really clear when he was actually holding that position of daddy just for Father God. And in this statement in... Uh, in uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 23, when he's talking to the Pharisees, the Pharisees like to be called father. They like to be treated with respectful labels when they're in marketplaces. Like when you come up to me in uh, the supermarket and you see me from afar, uh, you might, uh, Nisha, when you're looking at me in uh, Kmart, you see me from a distance, you know. Please say, hello, Pastor Mark. <laughs> I'd like that if you could do that. That would be nice. That would make me feel really good, you know. Everybody in the shopping center would say, Hi, I'm a pastor. (laughs) You could say, Hello, Pastor Mark, how are you? Could you do that for me next time you see me? 
Sure, okay. Well, this is the problem. I mean, this is the Pharisees. They, were, they loved that in the marketplaces. In the marketplace, hey, Pharisee George, how are you? Lovely to see you. Oh, thank you, yes, I am a Pharisee. Actually, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, not just an ordinary Pharisee. I was one of the top ones, you know. Yes, my beard is extra longer than the other's beards, and my little hairy things here are going curly, curly, curly. But And my robes, do you see? No, my, look at my robes. Aren't they nice? Yes, you must be very impressed that you have the opportunity to know me. Are you glad that you know me? I'm glad I know me too. Seriously, I'm not like you. I'm just slightly better than you. Glad that you noticed that. <laughs> so he was actually, Jesus talking to that attitude. He's talking to that attitude of ego and titles. And he says these things. But be not ye called, this is the old, uh, King James, right? the ye is the you. But don't you be called rabbi, which means teacher. For one is your master, even Christ, and you are all brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth. For one is your father, which is in heaven. Let's notice that. He says, I want you to recognize that your father is not situated in a biological tree. Your father is a heavenly being. And he is your father in heaven. And you need to stop calling people father so that you start to remember who your daddy really is. And start to express your faith in that dad rather than your faith in your own earthly dad. Uh, it might not be a, a, an important exercise for you at this particular point in time, but it is really an important exercise for your maturity to recognize that God is your father. And as your father, he is the best example that you have. Sometimes in our tough lives, we get hardships happening to us. And, and the, writer to the, Philippi, uh, sorry, the writer to the Hebrews actually said, even in the difficult times in your life, I want you to still remember that God is your daddy and he's looking out for you. And so he writes these words. You have, been, have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his sons? And he goes on and says, it says, my son, this is God speaking to us, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. And then he says, endure hardship as discipline. Okay, have you had a hard week this week? Put your hand up if you had a hard week this week. Well, that, that he says is a sign that God loves you. Come on, you've got to be joking me. You mean when I hit the wall and things get really tough for me, that's a sign that God is really loving me? Yes, it is. It means when, yes, I know it can be hard for little ones. When things get really tough for you, that's a sign, he says. Keep your mind on who your daddy is. He says, keep remembering who your father is. He says, even when it gets really tough, he said, because even earthly fathers discipline their children. He says, your heavenly father allows those situations to come across your life because he knows what you can handle and he's there inside you to strengthen you and he will enable you to overcome it. Now, this week was a difficult week for me. Not an overly stressful week for me, but in terms of you know, loaded stress. But lots and lots of things on, lots and lots of things in my mind, lots and lots of things to do, lots and lots of things crowding my head. And I, and I, I can remember thinking to myself, if I don't keep my mind strong this week, I'm going to get overrun with perplexities. That's what I felt. 
An interesting word that you got there. It's like you felt me. It was interesting. Lots and lots of things. And next week's like that too for me. And I'm thinking lots of things. I've got to fly to Rockhampton on Tuesday and I've got to do some stuff in Rockhampton and come home and, and then you know, other things. That I, I'm just thinking it's all very busy. Very, very busy. And in the whole of this exercise, God says to you, you know, Mark, I didn't tell you to worry about the, fo- the future. I said, just look after today. Just deal with today. And, and that's all I have to do. You know, today I just have to say, you know, for maturity's sake, for maturity's sake, God is in control of my life. Yes, everything that I'm facing is his choice for my life. I face those things. I'll deal with those things as they come up. Put them in my diary. Yes, I'll do that. They're in my diary now. But each day I will deal with the trouble that the day brings because God is my father. He allows the hardship because he knows it will help me to grow up and mature. And we do that one day at a time with Jesus. It says there, he says, moreover... We all have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? So the writer to the Hebrews wants you to remember who your daddy is, even when it's hard, even when the things are tough. Here's some things that are in the scripture. God is called our father, but he's also called the father of the stars and the planets. Did you know that? God is called the father of the stars and the planets. You know why? Because he's a father, because he created them. He created them. He's also called the father of rational, intelligent beings, whether angels or men. That means he's not just my father. When you go down to Woodridge and you walk down that street and you see those people that are there that don't know Jesus, they've never seen Jesus before or never talked to Jesus, don't know that you could have a relationship, you look at it, he's their father as well. He's their father as well. He's the father of all humanity. God is the father of all humanity. He's not the father of them as you have an experience with Jesus. Like you're chosen, you know, you've been brought into the family, adopted into the family of God, and you've now love him as a loving father. You, you, you are not fearful of him and that he's going to beat you to death. You love him. You're brought into a close and intimate relationship with Father God. They're not father like that, but the father, he's father to the lost because he created them. And because he created them, he's their father. That's why you ought to respect them. Listen to me. Never look down your nose at someone who's not saved or someone who's caught in sin with an attitude of disrespect because they are your father's children. And when you do it to the least of these, you do it as under him. Respect them, even if they don't agree with you. And even if they're your enemies, love them. Because that's the heart of your father. Because he loves his children, both wicked and evil. And it's not a pleasure for him to send them to hell if he has to. He sent his son to provide salvation for them. He is not willing that any should perish. He is still their father, even though they don't acknowledge him as being father. Okay, we all need fathers and we all need mothers in the faith. So let's have a look at this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 to 17, 
Paul writes an interesting statement and talks about fathers. Now, you know that he's not asking to be called a father because Jesus has already said, don't call any man father. So he's not actually talking now about being called father. He's actually talking about the function of a father. He says, I'm writing this, uh, I'm, I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians or instructors, people who teach you the things, you know, he said in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Jesus Christ, or for in Christ Jesus, I became the father, your, your father through the gospel. And what he's saying there, I am your father because I brought you to Jesus. Okay? He says, you've got lots and lots of people who are telling you what to do. There's a difference between someone who tells you what to do and someone who's your father in the faith. Do you know the difference? One has no emotional attachment to you, doesn't care to hoots. You just listen to me, I'll tell you what to do, okay? The other one loves you, cares for you, and will go the distance with you. Will walk beside you, will pick you up when you fall down, will put their arms around you when you fail, will forgive you, will walk with life through with life with you. You've got plenty of guys who will tell you what to do. You want to know what to do? I'll tell you what to do. But we don't have many people who say, let me walk with you. Let me stand with you. Let me put my arm around you. Let me cry with you. Let me weep with you. Let me put a band-aid on your car. Let me stand with you. Let me be there with you through the good times and the bad times. Let me celebrate life with you. How many guys and girls do you have like that who are going to walk with you? When you get that in the community, you don't want to let that go very quickly. You want to get out in the big wide world and have a look in the big wide world? How many people have people who will... You know what the big problem with adolescents today? I'll tell you what the big problem is. Adolescents are abandoned by adults. They hang in their peer group. Why? Because all the adults... Here, have some money. Do what you have to do. Just don't annoy me. I'm busy. Well, fathers are not there. Mothers are not there. Children come home to empty homes. They bring up their kids, friends, and do whatever they want, you know? This is the father heart. I urge you to imitate me, says Paul. He says, I'm going to be around. I'm going to hang around. I'm going to be around so that you can copy the way I live. I'm going to live my life like a pattern for you to He says, I'm getting beside you. I'm coming beside you. I'm encouraging. I'm consoling. I said, look at the, what I do now. Do what I do. I did an apprenticeship with my father. I'm a builder. He's a carpenter and he's a builder. I worked and did an apprenticeship with him. You know, in the exercise of doing an apprenticeship, you have to use a saw to cut a piece of timber. And so, you know, Dad would say to me, you know, well, you have to use the saw to cut the timber. So I'd do <laughs> And, you know, without a doubt, you, the saw would jump, you know, pushing because I, I want to impress my dad. So I want to saw real fast, saw real hard. And, you know, and so when you're doing that, you, you push hard on the saw and the teeth grab, it bends the saw, it jumps out and cuts your finger. And Dad looks at you and says, you idiot. Well, no one telling me different. He says, let the saw do the cutting. When you're cutting with a saw, you don't have to put effort in it. If the saw is sharp, you just let the saw do the cutting. And you could just... You don't have to strain yourself. The saw's doing all the work. And he shows you. He models it for you. He, he, he lives in it. And you say, wow, I got that now. Next time I stand there, let me cut that for you there. 
got the moves. Hey, hey, learn it off dad. You know, little girls, they come under the kitchen and they're sitting there. Mum's doing the stir and she's making the biscuits. She's doing stuff, you know, and she's cooking. She's shining. And little girl says, I'll do it, I'll do it. And she's sitting, she's making a mess everywhere. Mum says, no, no, no. And she shows her. She models for her daughter how to do it. How to break an egg and not get the shell in the white. How to make the white sauce so it's not lumpy. She's modeling. She's showing. She says, this is what I do. I urge you, follow me. Follow my pattern. This is how it's done. I urge you, imitate me. Now, the natural is a metaphor for the spiritual. That which is done naturally is done spiritually in our lives. And Paul says this, for this reason I have sent Timothy, my son. And that son, Timothy wasn't his son. It was a, a friend but he adopted him like a son. He says, this is my son, Timothy, whom I love and who is faithful. He will remind you of my sad way of life. He didn't say, he will remind you of the things that I taught you and then leave it there and just, and just the last part. He will remind you of the things I teach you. No, he said, he will remind you of the way of life, my way of life and the things which agrees with the, what I teach everywhere in the church. You see, so he's saying, you know, this is what daddies do. They live out a model in front of their children. Their children watch and they do what their fathers do. So our father God lived out a model in front of us. Who was that model? Jesus was that model. Jesus came and lived the perfect father. That's why some people get confused with Jesus. Is he my brother or is he my father? Then you might say, Jesus, thank you for being a loving father. Well, that's okay. It's not really quite right, but it's okay because Isaiah says, for unto us a son will be born, unto a child is given. His, the, his, the government will be upon his son. He will be called everlasting father because he's a model for us. He's the model. He is the, the image of the invisible God. Lived out in front of us, it says in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. There he is, radiantly shining everything of the character of God. You want to see what God the Father... Jesus said to, to, to well, Thomas, he says, Have I been with... He says, Thomas says, show us the Father. Or was it Philip? I can't remember. Philip, show us the Father. And then Jesus says, Have I been with you for so long and you don't know me? That's crazy, hey? What do you mean? Are you standing with the Father? What are you saying? Jesus says, I am modeling the Father. Everything the Father tells me to do, I do. Everything the Father tells me to say, I say. I model the Father for you. Why? Because you are meant to be imitating it as children. All right. So what's the training process? Parents model, children imitate. That's the process. What's the process? The way it happens. How does it happen? This is the way it happens in life. Parents model, children imitate. So what does that mean? Well, it means everything you do, they will do. Well, I'll try to do. You jump from a tall building, and they'll think that that's fine. Well, daddy did it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. The training content. Now, when I say content, 
I'm talking about information. The training content is not what you say, it's what you do. That's the content. Everybody say, it's what I do. And to make it relevant, you're all spiritual daddies and mummies. Because you are a letter written from the hand of God. And wherever you are, your light will shine. You can be at school and have your light shining in grade 10. That's Claudie. That's Kevin. Grade 10. You can shine for Jesus in grade 10. Or you cannot. All right. Proverbs chapter 22 says these words. It says, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word train up is an interesting word. It's chanach. Can you say that? You've got to clear your throat. Chanach. Chanach. Yeah, that's, that's that. It even... It sounds, uh, it, it sounds uh, Hebrew, doesn't it? Well, it is Hebrew. That's the word. It means to put something into a child's mouth. So train up means to put something into a child's mouth. Yeah, the idea is if you, want them to eat, um, if you want them to eat something, you put a little bit in their mouth and they get used to it. And after a little while, they, they don't spit it out anymore. Or they get used to the taste. You, get, you put it in their mouth. You're training them. You're giving them a taste for it. Giving them a taste. What's in your mouth? What's your taste for? What have you got a taste for? What have you got a taste for in life? Because the thing that you've got a taste for in life is probably what's been training you. You like fashion? You like dressing in nice clothes? Is that the taste in your mouth? Well, somebody's been training you. Is your mummy looking hot because she's got some nice rags on? She's probably been training you. That's the way she trained you. So you can't wear that, Daddy. Why can't I wear that? It's not color coordinated. It's a shirt and it's pants. Why does it have to be color coordinated? Because Mummy says that's the way it looks. There's a taste in the mouth. Boys, they gotta be. They wear those men's shirts and they walk around with their chest like this, you know, and they stand around and they stroll around. And when Dad walks and I'm walking behind him, they say, "You walk just like your Dad. You've got the same sort of gait. It's like you know, you're just walking like Dad walks." Yeah, I watched him all these lives, and I just walk like that because that's how Dad walks. I walk like that too. It's nothing to do with my biology. Nothing to do with my way my feet are. It's because I looked at him. He walked like that, and I walk like that too now. That's the way we do it. I had a little kid come over. We did some building for a couple and in, in, in some years ago. This is about the time we did your, you know, that, so that's some years ago. Uh, and the lady came and I said, come on over to have dinner with my, at my place. And she bought a husband. She bought a little child, two-year-old child. And Jenny has some toys. She always has some toys, you know, because we had kids. So we kept the toys and then we had people over and we bring the toys out, you know. And we bought out a little kitchen set for this little boy. Well, I just watched him. And he goes over there and he gets a little tea towel and he puts it around his tummy like this. And they're two years old. He can't even talk. Well, not much. A little bit. You were there, weren't you? No, Richard Taylor was there. And he sits there and he goes, huh. And I think, what's going wrong? He goes like this. 
Something's wrong in the kitchen. And then he says, where's the book? He needs the book. He needs the recipe book. Well, where did he get that at two years old, eh? He's been watching somebody. He watched somebody. He's just done one. Man. Where's that book? Of, I put it somewhere. Where did I put that? Then he said, what you do? You get in there and you just, where's that book? Two years old. That's what kids do. They model. Put a taste in their mouth. He might be a chef. He may make his life being a chef because it started from a very young age. I just always loved cooking. Why did you love cooking? I, can't, I don't even know when it started. It started early, early for me. This mum was always looking at recipes. It just... It's just something I like doing. Why? Why? What do we present to our children as models? That's a good question. Because you say, well, if I'm the model and my wife is the model, kids are not necessarily picky about who's the model. Because if you're not around, they're just in the mode of imitating. So they'll just imitate somebody. So if you put TV on, then you've got the modeling on TV. It's, you wonder why your little girl grabs the hair, you know, hairbrush. You've seen that? I want to sing a song to myself. And, the, and why the hairbrush? You say, honey, that's a hairbrush. What are you singing into a hairbrush for? Well, somebody model them. Oh, well, do you walk around, mum and dad, do you walk around with a hairbrush, brushing your hair and then singing to the hairbrush? Do you do that? We never do that. Well, where did they pick that up from? Tell me where it came from. It came from somewhere. They saw it somewhere. They saw somebody with a hairbrush singing into it. Oh, not a hairbrush. It's close enough. It looks like that. I'll sing into it anyway. They're modeling. They got it from somewhere. Oh, wait a minute. There's nothing passive in life. I want you to understand, when children are growing up, when children are learning, there is nothing passive in life. Everything is on takes. Everything can be modeled. Everything can be imitated. Just think about that. Last time you got there and you started to read something, you started to look something, you, you're interested in that thing, you looked and followed it through, you know, how do they do that? You look at that and then you just went and did it yourself, you modeled it. That's how we learn. That's the things that we do. And who are our children's heroes? Who do they have pinned on their wall? What are you looking at? in your phone what are you checking out that guy with the big mansion is that your model is that what your ideal is wealth and status is that what you want what's your model and then if you're not sure where you're getting your model from what sort of a model are you being but come on now, you're either generating death and stagnating or you're generating life and liberating. There's no passive, no, no place where you can sit there and not be active. You are always active and you're always either modeling or not. And you are picking something up or not. Who's putting the taste in your children's mouth? Who's putting the taste 
in your mouth. Where are you getting your appetite from? Right, eh? Where do you get your appetite from? Because that's what's training you. We have one father and we're told, join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live and as we do. So Paul says, look, direct your focus. You're going to model. If you're going to be an adult, live the right model. So we had um, um, Emily up here and she modelled trusting in Jesus for us. She shared it. So the modelling was there. If you were smart, you would have taken that model and you said, okay, I've got that and I'm going to take that home next week and I'm going to do that. You would have, that's, follow their example. Do as they do. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, he says, follow God's example. And that would be in the presence of Jesus. You see Jesus. He's God's example. So live like Jesus. Therefore, as dearly loved children. He says, follow the example of Jesus. I think it says, live in love. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 9, it says, we did this. And what was Paul was saying in that particular passage of Scripture, he was out working with his hands. You know, other guys like Peter, they get paid, I think, some salary, I think, for doing the preaching. Something like that. They were, they were living off it anyway. But there are other guys like me who are out working with our hands and we didn't charge the church. We, didn't pay, we weren't paid by the church to do it. Paul was like that. This is exactly the scripture that God told me about when he said to me, you're not going to charge a salary for yourself. And I said, why aren't I going to do that? Why don't I get the money that comes in from the church and put it in my pocket and walk away and say, thank you very much. Let's build the church nice and big. You know why? Because I get my... Why isn't, I, why isn't that? Why don't we even take up an offering? Well, it's over there, the box. But why, why isn't it a focus? Because God said, don't put that as your focus, Mark. He used this scripture and says, I'm giving you a model to follow. This is the scripture God spoke to my heart about. He says, we're working with our hands, not because we have to, or we don't have the right to have such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to follow. And that word, or to imitate, that word model is an authoritative type or an authoritative picture. He said, I'm doing this so you can see how it is and so that you will do as I do. Well, I figure if you've got some modeling that's presented to you in Scripture that's told you it is a model, then it would be wise to follow that model. Don't you think? I would have thought so. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way of life and imitate their faith. That's children imitating. And that's also adults who've learned to generate life because they live the lifestyle before their children. So you can be a stagnant person and you can destroy life or you can bring life to people. Your life can be a blessing or your life can be a curse. And that curse will last longer than your own children. It will go down to your children's children and right down to the third and the fourth generation. You model the bad stuff now. You say, well, it doesn't really matter. You, they can sort it out for themselves. And you can model the bad stuff. You know what? Your children will model the bad stuff. Their children will model the bad stuff. And their children will model the bad stuff. Four generations down the line, it will keep on going infinitely. The bad stuff. 
You know, when you see a godly tree, and when I say a godly tree, I'm talking about people who come from a godly home. People who have a godly heritage. You know why I have a godly heritage? Why I'm a godly man? No, it's not because my father was a godly man. Not because his father was a godly man. It was probably because his father's father was a godly man. A man who sought after God, who went through and preached the word of God and did what he had to do. He was a godly man. He prayed for his children. He set a godly example. My father went off to the mission field when I was three. What do you think that impressed me? I still remember on the mission field, three years old, seeing, being in New Guinea. I remember the meetings. I remember how marvelous, how wonderful, and my soul will ever be. That's the song I learned in New Guinea as a three-year-old, sitting in a shack with natives around me, nationals around me, drinking coconut juice and eating coconut bread. Modelled a godly seed. Now, you want a godly seed, you have to take action. Praise God, you can break an ungodly seed. Thank Jesus you can break the curse. If you come from a life that's been ridden by people who, who haven't had God, you can stop it right now and you can start a godly seed by modeling Jesus. Living after God and say, this starts here right now. My godly seed starts now. And in the generations to come, if the Lord should tarry, let this place be filled with people from godly seed. Listen to what it says here. In Exodus chapter 20, it says, this is bad modeling. He says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, that's idols. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the children with the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation to those who hate me. The word visiting is that he attends to it. You know, you pattern that God attends to it. He says, I've said the word, the principle is simply this. Train up a child in the way that he will go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You know what that means? You train him good or you train him bad. When they are old, they will not depart from it. Don't come to me and cry because your kids don't love Jesus. Stop. Ask yourself the question. If I'm not 100% sold out for God, why should my children express that? If I'm only 50% sold out for Jesus, then your children will be less than 50% because that disregard for God will be minimalized down as good, good, until there is no godly seed left. The godly seed is just for those who are 100% devoted to Jesus, who seek Him with all their heart. Friends, we, we, we look and we think, you know, you know, I want to be a model. I want to generate life. I don't care how old you are. You may be just young. Ask yourself this question. You set today the principles for your life in the future. Do you want to model Christianity? Do you want to model Christ? Do you want to model the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? Or do you want to play a different game? You have to be passionate now. Passionate not with discipline. Passionate with your relationship to Jesus. You've got to love him with a passion. So when he speaks, you've got to learn and train your ear to listen to him. 
You've got to strain to hear him. Jesus, I just so want to hear you. I just so want to see you. And listen hard and watch hard for him to show himself to you. And then model it, pattern it, live it out. Live it out in front of people so that people can see your light and your light shines and they can glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's where the model is coming from. My Father who is in heaven. Listen to me, my friends. It's one or the other. You can't escape that. If it's all too hard for you, we'll get into stagnation. God is building a spiritual household. We have choices to be spiritual parents. To shine, no matter what age you are. We've got to model to the next generation. That's what this one is about. If we stagnate, we become self-centered. And that's the problem with the midlife crisis. Have you heard about the midlife crisis? About this age, about our age. Between 40 and 65. People go through what they call a midlife crisis. I think I went through it about 30. You know it's the midlife crisis? I've spent my whole days, all my life, serving and working for these kids. I laid down my whole life for my wife. I've got nothing out of this. There's nothing coming to me. You know what's going to happen? I just can't take this anymore. I'm going to get something for myself now. I'm going to look after me. I've had enough time spending it for everybody else. I'm going to serve me now. I'm going to enjoy my life and my days because it's my turn. That's a midlife crisis. And so you get the guys and the girls, the girls in the midlife crisis, they dress themselves up in the girls, kids, the, the, the clothes the girls are wearing. And they walk around and they put their hair, they, their face is lifted and they go to the places where the girls, they, what's that girl doing here? She's a little older than what I thought. You know? Yeah, they call them cougars. I'm having a midlife crisis. What's that? I just think I want some young bucks in my life. You know, I've had it with old men. Give me some young ones. I want a toy boy. Seriously. Why? What's it about? It's about me. I want to have fun and excitement. And these boys can give me fun and excitement. Oh, my good night. Daddy goes, buy motorbike. And they stand there. And at the big ones, they got the big handlebars right at the top there. And they go down the highway. Funny looking thing. I look at it and say, what's going on there? And he can see in the corner of his eyes, he's looking at you saying, can you see me? I see you. Can you see me? I look a little this is about me and my time. This is about me having my freedom. I'm buying a bike because I want to go where I want to go and do what I want to do without having any hangers on. I'm not buying a bus. I'm not buying something there. People can come and join with me where I can talk into their lives and breathe into their lives. No, no, no. I'm buying a bike because it's just me and the open road. Yeah, they get off the bike. You know, I've been... Uh, for a while they are driving from Brisbane to Sydney. It's kind of hard. Now listen, you might think it's funny, but it's not funny. It's not, it's not funny because there's a deception involved in that. And the deception is, you know, you missed out on something because you served. The lie is, 
Because you're serving and generating life into other people, somehow you are missing out on life for yourself. But I want to tell you something. Life in Jesus is all about serving. And as you're serving, you're generating life, not just life for now, generating life for the generation which is to come, for God's glory. My great-great-grandfather, I don't know what he had in his mind, but I kind of think that he couldn't see down through the ages. But the pattern that he took then is still affecting us now. And my son is fifth generation. And his daughter is sixth generation. Godly seed. We started somewhere with a man who, who said, you know what, I am not going to stop and please myself. I'm going to please Jesus all my life. I'm going to model him. That's the age that we're at now. If you want to just pull out a life and you want to become like a stagnant pond, nothing coming in and nothing going out, you are aged and stagnant and you may only be 15. You may say, don't talk to me. I don't need to hear what you have to say. I don't want any input from you. And I'm not going to give anything to anybody. It's my life and I'll do what I want with my life. You know what's something? You're in old age before you even dare. You're almost dead now. You're stagnant. You're like that. A dead swimming pool. Nothing coming in and nothing going out. You're just rotten and getting smelly. But there's a beautiful scripture. The river of God. I love this scripture. There is no river, but there's a river. It says, there is a river whose streams may glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. There's no river, but there is a river. It's the river of God himself. And it's coming in and it's going out. It's a river. It's flowing. And you can choose to stand in the river of God's grace and be generating life to a generation. Or you can choose to pull out and be a a pool on the side. You can choose your position. Let the river of God flow through your heart. Let the river of God flow through your life. Become the source of life. You know, the Dead Sea, you know why it's dead? It doesn't feed out. It gives out to nothing. It just takes up all the water and it gives out to nothing. You know, the Bible says that one day the river, that the Dead Sea will live again. What will happen? An earthquake will come and it will open up the other side and it will begin to flow through. And as it flows through, life will come to the Dead Sea. Where are you today? Are you starting to feel like the Dead Sea? Nothing going out anywhere. Stagnating now because nothing's coming in. You won't let anybody come in. Where are you? Or have you chosen to let your life be a generating river of life, the life of God flowing through you to other people? God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. I want that river. Do you want that river? I want to be a life source not a dead end. I want to be a life source, not a dead end. Let's stand.
want you to think now very deeply about what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. I'm aware that he is present with us. And being present with us, he has been speaking to your heart. So he has actually put his finger on your life. And there are things that he's saying to you, you know what, I've been wrestling with you for that, with that thing for some time. And that's just cutting off the source of that river. You need to deal with that thing. Now, I'm not interested in making you feel guilty because that's not going to achieve anything. But I want you to sense the work of God's Holy Spirit and understand that God is speaking to you and I want you to respond to him. Say, Lord Jesus, you know, I've been putting up a dam to stop stuff from coming in. Or I've been putting up a dam to stop stuff from going out. I'm making choices that limit me, that stop me from generating life. And those choices have to do with what I want, not what you want. What I'm choosing, not what you're choosing. And, and I recognize that today. And I don't want to be part of that death. I want to have life. I want to generate life. If God is speaking to your heart, I want you to raise your hand just to him. Don't worry about me, just to him. Talk to him. I don't care how old you are. If God is speaking, I want you to acknowledge to him, I want to be in the river of God. Lord, you see these hands that are raised. I thank you for speaking to these hearts. Lord Jesus, this is a journey that we're all on. And I pray, oh God, that from this time on, Father, they would be sensitive to hear you. Forgive them, Lord Jesus for erecting those dams that stop the flow out or from those walls that stop the flow in, Father. Lord, help them to release themselves to you so that your rich river of grace and truth and love will just flow through them now in Jesus' name. Fill them with your Holy Spirit every day, Lord Jesus. Fill them to overflowing, Lord Jesus. Lead them and guide them as you said you would, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you.